What's actually going on when you enter the DMT space is your brain is constructing a new reality model. I see DMT as a technology for communicating with intelligences that are way beyond anything that exists in this universe. And that's why when I came back, I was mm. so torn about this reality because I was like, holy shit, yeah. there are other realities out there that are so much more real than this one. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business. Where we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com well ladies and gentlemen it is my absolute pleasure a special very special pleasure today to welcome dr andrew gallimore to unstoppable mate it is got to be one of the most exciting interviews that I've ever <laughs> like this morning when I as I was actually saying to you before we actually jumped on as soon as I got my run sheet this morning well actually it started when the girls put you in front of me because I in, until my producers put me in front of you I put you in front of me I actually hadn't heard of you but as soon as I did I was like fuck I need to speak to this guy get him on <laughs> and then they got you on they told me they got you and then yeah your run sheet blessed my table my coffee table this morning and I picked it up and was like right what are the podcasts today and then I saw and I was like holy grail now for those of you who um don't know who Andrew is. Andrew, why don't you just give us a little bit of a, yeah, what do you say when you go to a dinner party and people say, oh, so what do you do? <laughs> well, it, it, it depends on the type of dinner party. Um, I mean, the dinner parties I go to, um, I can normally be pretty open. I mean, I would normally start um, and kind of test the water and say, well, I'm a neuro, I'm a neurobiologist. I'm interested in the brain. Um, and if they're interested, and hopefully they are, they are, then I might push it a little further and say, well, I'm actually interested in um, molecules that change the brain. I'm interested in drugs, certain types of drugs, and then we push it. For, and then eventually we get to, I'm into psychedelics, man. And then <laughs> either they go, why on earth are you interested in that? You know, uh, or they go, whoa, that's fucking awesome, man. And um, and then we get into a conversation. So so yeah, so I'm. I, I'm, I'm very open about the fact that I'm interested in psychedelics. I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. This is 21st century, for goodness sake. Um, but still, one does have to be a little bit careful, especially in Japan, because, yes. you know, it's, it's, it's still a little bit dodgy here. And opinions, people's opinions about drugs generally tend to be irrational. So you, yes. you can't count on them having a rational opinion about, about even psychedelics, you know, often they would kind of lump them together with other, I think you're into meth or something. Yeah, it's right. weird. Um, <clears throat> I am curious though, like, because you obviously started out um, with uh, an interest in the brain. At what point was there a, trans a divergence into un wanting to know specifically about psychedelics and, and their impacts and their effects? Well, actually, it was the other way around. So actually, I became interested in the psychedelics first. When I was a teenager. Wow. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I became fascinated with psychedelics. Um, and I thought, you know, I really need to learn about these. And so I actually started getting into more chemistry and pharmacology. So I was interested in the drugs and, and how they interact with the body. 
And that's what I did for the first 10 years of my academic career, really. Uh, and then I realized, look, you know, I, if I really want to understand psychedelics and how they're actually working in the brain, because obviously that's where their, their main site of action is, then um, I need to I need to move more into a neurobiological territory. And so that's when I, I shifted focus from the molecules and, and their kind of molecular level drug receptor interactions, as we call it, um, to, to the brain. And so now I work at the university in, in Okinawa in Japan, where I study, I study the brain. I use computational modeling, mathematical modeling, to try to understand how this very complex piece of information generating machinery in our heads actually works and how psychedelics affect the way that that machine works. And it really is quite interesting because when you start to see the literature, especially the brain scans, and you start to see what mm. the befores and afters look like in a whole range of different scenarios, it really does kind of open up the bigger questions into what is actually going on in the brain and <laughs> when, when this is happening because there is a, an incredibly high level of function. Now, before we get into that, mm. I am curious to know how, how, where did it all start? Was there an experience... You know, you mentioned in your, your teenage years where, you know, you were introduced to them either intellectually or maybe through experience. But what was the moment where you went, oh, my God, I'm going to dedicate my – clearly you're dedicating your life to understanding it. What was that it, moment? Yeah, that was a moment. I mean, I'm dedicating my life specific just to psychedelics generally, but specifically to DMT, dimethyltryptamine. For me, that's the, the king. And, yeah. um, and I – when I was a teenager, I wasn't kind of a brave psychonaut kind of guy. I was I was a little bit wary of psychedelics. I was scared of, you know, I heard the, the, the horror stories and I was a little bit frightened. You know, if I take some acid or I take some mushrooms, I'm going to be stuck in this hell realm for, for several hours and there's no way out. Right. So that so they interested me, but from a kind of from a distance. And then I was at a friend's house, one of my oldest friend um, way back in my, my kind of home village. And I was leafing through his books. I was maybe about 15 or 16 years old. Uh, and I pulled off a book, and it's a very old book. And they had a small section in the book about psychedelics. And there was the usual kind of suspects was in there, LSD, mushrooms. And there was a small paragraph, um, it's a DMT. And it's described it as this LSD-like experience, but only lasts 15 minutes, the businessman's trip. I thought, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, I, I, you know, this is like a, a, a psychedelic you can take. It's like LSD. Of course, it isn't, but that's what they said. Um, and, and it lasts for 15 minutes. So you're only there, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, for 15 minutes. And I thought, okay, that's really interesting. Now, in those days, this was 1995, 96. Wow, so no, okay. not many people had the internet in their home. Um, so you couldn't Google DMT. Uh, so I had yep. to go to the local library in the city centre and actually find out what DMT stood for. Uh, it was it was that kind of difficult. Um, and then, weirdly, the following week, I was at school and a friend of mine, because I've been talking about you know psychedelics for a while, a friend of mine brought me this magazine. He said, "Oh, you might be interested in this." And it was just a regular kind of weekly magazine. But on the back page was an interview with Terence McKenna. Um, and it described his, uh, his, his, his work and his interest, particularly in his favorite drug, as they called it, DMT. Uh, and so it was like, yeah, I was kind of pushed onto this path and I've never looked back. So at that point, I changed all of my subjects I was studying at school. 
Um, I thought, okay, I need to study chemistry. I need to study biology and mathematics. Yeah. So I, I, I completely shifted, uh, got into that. And then, you know, the, through my kind of academic career in university, it was always, I was always interested, always moving towards becoming a, someone who was, who does, you know, psychedelic research of some, some kind. And I'm still on that path. <laughs> so at what point did you actually get exposed to, you know, um, the experiential nature of your interests, um, either from an observation and in a, um, you know, in a medical, you know, uh, environment or in, like as a subject yourself? So that was, so that would have been a couple of years after that. So that would have been right. when I went to university. So that's of course gotcha. when, when, when for a large number of people, these kind of things happen, right? So yeah. Um, so initially it was uh, mushrooms uh, and then a few years later, um, probably four years later, actually when I was in Cambridge was actually the first time that I came across the, the great spirit molecule itself, DMT. Uh, and that was, I mean, I, I'd been in, interested in DMT for, for years before that, of course, since, you know, five, six, seven years, but you, you'd hear the stories, you'd hear Terence McKenna saying, you know, death by astonishment, you know, and, and he kind of thinks, whoa, really, really, Terence? <laughs> and then uh, then you kind of smoke it, like, oh, fuck, yeah. Okay, mm. <laughs> I understand what, what he was saying now. And that was that was a, a pivotal moment in my life because it became, I, I, I went from being someone who was interested in these drugs um, objectively from the outside to actually being someone who, who had actually been to that place and knew exactly what I was getting into, so to speak. And, and that really yeah, cement, wow. cemented my fascination. And yeah, here we are. Now, before we go down that rabbit hole, which is going to be a very deep, windy one with lots of intersections, I'm curious to, because again, some people will probably assume, depending on their level of exposure to psychedelics, but specifically DMT, oh, here we go. These boys are going to have a big conversation now about, uh, you know, the drug taking and you know, all of the, the negative associations that some people might have associated with these types of substances. What I found really interesting is I got exposed to psychedelics. It was in my, um, I think it was in my mid-teens. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't until my, I think it was my late 20s where I actually picked up my first book on ayahuasca. Uh, and I actually read this massive book that was actually written by a psychotherapist. And it was about 56 accounts of patients that she had with chronic conditions around addiction and mm. mental illness that she had not been able to treat and she had taken them to the jungle and she'd been able to cure or, or at least create significant levels of dish of, of of significant levels of treatment change in about 82 percent of them and i remember i was about 28 at the time and when i got my hands on this book like it, it just sat with me but then I started through the pursuit of knowledge and the areas of performance and the pursuit of knowledge, the areas of you know, spirituality and consciousness, you know, more information started to come across my field. And then, then I became familiar with Dan, um, James Fadiman's work. Hmm. And that's when the, it really kind of became clear to me that, holy shit, like there's the Western aspect of psychedelics. There's also the, the Eastern and you know, the other cultural aspects of psychedelics and how they've been used. But clinically, we actually know a hell of a lot about these substances and how they've been used and in some cases, how successfully they've been used, you know, going back as far as the late, you know, the, the, the 1950s and 1960s. So I'm curious from your perspective, mm. <clears throat> before we start getting into the therapeutic aspects, uh, first of all, when you got in, did you see that there was going to be a, a therapeutic benefit here? Like, is that, was that something that you were kind of wired into or was there more a curiosity to, to understand what was happening? Well, I think anyone who, 
who studied psychedelics certainly is aware of the history and is aware of um, the, as you mentioned, you know, going back all the way back from to the fifties, um, you know, psychedelics were showing great promise in, in therapeutic contexts. Uh, but, and even with DMT, in fact, I mean, DMT was, there was tr trials with um, kind of clinical, sort of clinical trials, uh, experiments in humans anyway, way back in the 1950s. Um, but I mean, for me, I don't think I could have predicted the almost revolutionary, yeah. um, almost kind of it's revolutionary effect psychedelics are going to have and I, I think that many people still don't accept that but in yeah. my opinion it it's going to be it's going to be penicillin levels of you know like there's basically medicine can be broken up basically two eras pre-penicillin and post-penicillin pre-penicillin mm. you got an infection good night um post-penicillin you get an infection well it's pretty easy to treat i mean it's it's it's, it's hard to believe really um, what it must have been like to live in a pre-penicillin era. And that is what I think psychedelics uh, are basically the penicillin of the 21st century in, in the mm. psychiatric penicillin, in that they are yeah. going to completely revolutionize. Uh, I, I, was, I couldn't have predicted that. Um, I think largely because I was... I am interested in kind of the, some of the weirder aspects. I mean, there are lots of people interested in psychedelics and their therapeutic and... Uh, their therapeutic potential and doing a lot of awesome work in, in that regard. But I've always been drawn towards the weird stuff. I'm, I've been drawn towards alien intelligence and machine yep. elves and and that kind of stuff, uh, rather than rather than therapeutics. But certainly, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware of, of what these drugs are going to do to psychiatric medicine. Well, that, that certainly gives us a good direction for for the conversation. But uh, mm -hmm. if anything, I'm really trying to create a stable. Um, foundation here of understanding there is literally decades of research that mm. essentially fundamentally explain what you're talking about here in terms of the shift that we're about to experience. Yeah. And I see this being bigger than cannabis because, you know, when cannabis became legalized, there wasn't that much medical literature around, you know, in terms of the, the, the therapeutic benefits biologically, biochemically, and also, you know, therapeutically. Now there's a lot of research that's been done into it, but there's compelling research that comes all the way back from the 1950s. And correct me if I'm wrong, weren't yeah. psychedelics originally synthesized by accident by Dr. Albert Hoffman, I think in 1948, he was mixing, playing with tryptamines and he accidentally, I think he was trying to put together a hay fever formula or something. I can't remember. I know he was playing with tryptamines, put a combination together, got some on his hands, which is equivalent about a 200 milligram dose. And that was the, the famous ride home. Since then, you know, they thought that they could use that as a, as a substance to, better understand the psychotic mind they thought well if yes. i take this so i'm losing my mind so it gives me the empathy perspective and the the experiential perspective but then they started to realize there was significant benefits psychotherapeutically when it came to a whole range of conditions which you which you pointed to yes but then you've got this whole other side of the equation and and, and rightly said what we're seeing now in this third wave is how people are using psilocybin lsd and even in some cases dmt for treatment of depression in some cases, um, uh, PTSD, I know me personally, I had a lot of success with uh, high-dose LSD and MDMA to treat uh, what would have been 30 years of chronic PTSD, high-level PTSD. Um, and it's being used in a whole range of different other psychotherapeutic ways for mental illness. 
But there's also this other side where it gives us access to something. It gives us access to a level of intelligence. It gives us access in some cases to what could be perceived as other alternate dimensions, other alternate beings, mm. um, in some cases civilizations. And that's yeah. not really talked about as much, <laughs> which is really quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and so from your perspective, apart from people thinking that, oh, hang on, this guy's absolutely batshit crazy. He actually talks to the machine else. Is that why you think so many people stay away from that side of the intelligence? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, orthodox scientists tend to avoid it um, because it is, it's it's a no-go zone. It's, it's un, it's, it cannot be entertained, the idea that, a, that taking a drug could actually give access to um, some kind of orthogonal, hyperdimensional reality filled you know, teeming with intelligent beings. I mean, that's unthinkable. Um, and thus, you know, I did a... I wrote, Until you actually do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm not... I really don't care. And and that's... that's. I'm not one of these people who's chasing... Cli- trying to climb up this academic ladder and, and, and worried about what other scientists think of me at, at all. And I've never been like that. Uh, I, I'm in academia to learn, uh, but I'm not... You know, I'm not going to be a professor in 10 years time, put it that way. Yeah, um, right. So I'm so I've never been concerned about that, which is why I've been perfectly happy to say things that get me called, you know, a quack a pseudoscientist. You know, I've been called names, but who gives a fuck? I mean, it, it really doesn't. But doesn't bother me at all. But but regular scientists will, uh, will will shy away from that kind of discussion. Not all of them. There are some I mean, people like David Luke at Greenwich University, a friend of mine. Probably, you know, certainly in the UK is the, I would say, the, the foremost DMT researcher. And he works on psychic phenomena and other kind of anomalous stuff. And he certainly entertains the idea because, you know, once you've been there, the thing is, once you've been to this place, um, uh, a lot of these scientists have never been there. When I say been there, I mean to the DMT world. Right. And they wouldn't. And, uh, and so they've never they've never felt the, the force of, of how compelling that space is and how truly um, undeniably real it is and, and the complexity and the, the power of these intelligences are. And, 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 and that to me is, is the sure convincer. Terence McKenna used to say, you know, give me five minutes of time, five minutes of your time and, and I'll show you, right? Uh, uh, people who would dismiss the experience as mere hallucination. And, and this has been going on since the 1950s. So when I wrote a paper with David Luke, actually, uh, two or three years ago, and we looked back at all of the literature from the 1950s of DMT, all the human experiments, looking for trip reports, basically, in the literature where they would describe the experience of their patients when they injected them with DMT. All we found most of the time uh, was tiny snippets and, you know, subjects or complex hallucinations, uh, but there was very little in terms of the actual structure. You know, doctors weren't interested. Uh, scientists weren't interested in what you saw. You know, it was a hallucinogen. It caused hallucinations. The nature of those hallucinations and the structure and the content uh, was not interesting to them. And and I think that that seems still to be the case for a lot of scientists now uh, who will just regard, most of them have never taken DMT, and they will say DMT is just another short-acting uh, powerful hallucinogen, but they don't really understand what DMT is. And, and DMT is something very different. I think very few people who smoke high dose DMT would come back and say, oh, it's just, 
just hallucination. There's something else going on, something that, in my opinion, and in my scientific opinion as well, not just in my yeah. personal subjective opinion, in my neuroscientific opinion, the DMT state, the DMT realities, the DMT worlds are actually confounding. They are difficult to explain um, in terms of modern orthodox neuroscience. Yeah. I did, um, it probably would have been 18 months of research before I reintegr reintegrated myself back into some form of psychedelic therapy. I think it was maybe two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago. I picked up Jane Fadiman's book, uh, The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. I started to read that book. <clears throat> I quickly found another book called The Spirit Molecule by Rick Straussman. Yeah. I consumed both of those books and a whole range of others. And it's interesting because when I started doing the research, I was exactly like you. I was interested in the psychedelics to understand you know the therapeutic benefits but as soon as they started talking about dmt being yeah. the most like the king of the psychedelics and its relationship with plant medicine especially at uh, with ayahuasca i became super fascinated and i went deep real hard but i spent like 18 months before i had my first experience and then to echo what you said i still remember my first experience as coming back when i didn't have the breakthrough on the first one mm -hmm. uh it was probably my uh second or third it was my third experience where I had a complete breakthrough. And it was at that point I actually, I was like you, I came back and the, the, the couple that I had been journeying with said to me, so what did you see? And I was like, I started laughing. <laughs> I was like, how the fuck do you explain that? Like, there's just no words. Um, but the interesting component was I kept on coming back and going, I need to go back. Because like you said, this, there's something more in some cases something more real about this dimension than there is about the dimension that we even live in yeah <clears throat> and so i started doing more and more of of the journeys but what i started to discover was it started to come down to the more comfortable you became with the experience the easier it was to navigate and there was almost like this relationship between exposure to the process to the point where you, you're not no longer going uh, where you can actually mm -hmm. relax enough to go let me actually have a look around while i'm here and is that something that you've noticed as you progressed with the research that you've done? The more you experience this dimension, the more able you are to relax yourself into a state of, I guess, greater levels of awareness as you navigate. And that affects, does that in itself affect your ability to navigate in that dimension? Uh, yes. In my, in my opinion, that's, that's definitely the case. The, the, the problem with DMT is that, as you say, it's, it's first of all, it's, it's very disorient, dis disorienting. Uh, you're you're thrust into this space. You tumble through this hyperdimensional, complex, geometric forms, and um, and it's it's bewildering and it's astonishing. It's truly astonishing. It's shocking. It's shocking. It, you 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 kind of thrust and burst into this reality that you could never even have conceived of existing. It's impossible. You 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 enter an impossible space, a space that not only could you not think of existing, cannot exist. And that is completely confounding. There's no way to get your head around that. Mm. You know, two a minute ago, I was in this normal world that I'm familiar with. Now I'm in this bizarre world that, that is impossible. And yet here I am, and I'm fully alert. And yet I can't make any sense of it. That, I think, for most people, probably often for people who don't take dmt that often often that's always the experience uh, and they never get past that however more experienced users with practice can learn to okay this is it i've been here before just relax uh, and actually start to the experience can then start to stabilize and i think 
with longer experiences as well. I mean, you, you mentioned Rick Strassman, who I did some work with and, and trying to extend the experience over a longer period of time using a, an intravenous infusion device. Um, we believe that over time, the, the, the drug, the experience will stabilize because what's actually going on when you enter the DMT space is your brain is constructing a new reality model. Your, your brain is always constructing the world you experience from moment to moment during normal waking life is kind of a model of the environment that your brain is constructing to make sense of the sensory information it's receiving. When you enter the DMT space, your brain has to construct um, an entirely new model of reality uh, in order to experience the DMT space. Um, and that's, that in itself is actually quite difficult to explain because the brain didn't evolve to construct the DMT worlds presumably it evolved, evolved to construct this normal waking world we're in now. Um, however, we believe that over time, the longer in your, you're in this space, the brain will kind of settle down and start to um, start to make sense and, and, and pick up kind of sensory landmarks. Uh, and hopefully then the space will become more amenable to, to kind of navigation and, and even mapping. I mean, I, we've discussed yeah. before the idea that you might eventually be able to map in some re meaningful way, the structure of the DMT space and where you might find specific types of entities and, and that kind of thing. How have you found as a traveler managing where you, what dimension that you slip yourself into? Because obviously, you know, depending on, you know, set settings, so many different variables, oftentimes mm -hmm. you can take the same amount of dosage, but you'll end up somewhere completely different, you know, in a completely different context. What are yeah. some of the things that you've learned when it comes to navigating a, a re-entry into dimensions that you want to frequent, that you've got some familiarity with, or that you've seen? You go, well, I want to go back there. How do I get back to that one? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's difficult and it's very unreliable. It's it's kind of like mm. I always imagine. It's imagine if you were an alien and you were dropped to a random position on Earth. Um, you'd be on Earth, but whether you landed on you know rush hour in Hanoi or whether you landed <laughs> in the, the Siberian tundra, yeah. uh, you're going to, it's going to be two, essentially two different worlds you're going to experience. Uh, yeah. and, and, and imagine that, but with a, a space that's many has contains many more dimensions and is infinitely larger and more complex. Uh, yeah. It's not surprising that every time you go there, you tend to, you know, the, the, the weird thing about the DMT space is it's, it's very distinctly DMT esque. Um, it instantly, as soon as the vapor goes into your lungs, instantly, okay, oh fuck, here we go. Uh, and, and there's this very distinct carrier, carrier signal. Yeah, exactly. There's that the carrier, carrier signal. signal. There's the, yeah. there's something about the geometry um, mm -hmm. that that's very DMT esque. And as you're going through, but then once you burst through, and you described breaking through in your third attempt, once you break through this. Um, this membrane, this veil, the chrysanthemum, as Terence McKenna used to call it, then often you will burst into completely different space each time. Um, there are a number of space types of spaces that people often refer to and say, hey, have you been to the dome? Um, or have you been to this particular area or, or that area? Or, or have you met these kind of beings? Um, and and uh, and so there are, there seem to be a lot of commonalities, but but it takes a lot of experience to actually direct yourself to any particular space. I think, mm. for me personally, it's about intent um, on on knowing where you want to go and what you want to meet. And I've spoken to a number of people who who are able to meet the same 
uh, entity, the same being in the space time after time, simply by um, having the intent to actually meet those entities. Uh, Terence wow. McKenna used to call the machine out and said, come on in, little man, uh, and they would come <laughs> bounding <laughs> out of his face, he said. Right? So, so you can learn. I think, I think it's just experience and yeah. learning, learning to, to understand what's going on, to not lose your bearings and die by astonishment entirely, um, and, and to have the intent of going to that space. And, and it, certainly it takes work. It's, this is not an easy space to navigate. Oh, this is probably some of the, the hardest work you'll ever, in my opinion, as someone who, who loves doing work on yourself, like this is death practice at the highest level. Now, every, every DMT journey, you are jumping out of a plane. Like it is a death yeah. practice for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I am curious, um, you know, because when I first started experimenting with DMT, I'd already experimented with LSD and psilocybin uh, and for ACO DMT mm-hmm. um, and some MDMA and 2CB. But again, I was looking very much for therapeutic performance benefits. I wasn't doing this um, purely for a recreational benefit, although there's always that added benefit where you come out feeling, you know, a little bit better than when you went in. But one of the things, I just kept on going back to DMT. I kept, I couldn't get away from it. And, but I kept asking the question, how do I stay here longer so that I can actually spend more time to navigate? And I'd already done ayahuasca a couple of times. That was actually how I got introduced. Um, and I started thinking about going back to Aya and maybe, you know, because that's what the, 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 the medicine men of old did is they said, well, this compound breaks down very quickly. You know, I think, yeah. I, I think it breaks down within seven minutes in the liver. Like it's got a, a half life of, what is it, seven to 15 minutes. And so the, uh, the medicine men worked out if they, if they blended certain compounds together, I think one of them being, um, I can't remember the pronunciation, but I believe it's got a, a compound in it called Hamala. And when they yeah. combine Hamala, Hamaline, Hamaline. Yeah. With uh, the DMT, they were able to extend people's journeys for, you know, in some cases, six, seven, eight hours. And yeah. so, what I'm curious about, did you end up trying DMT? Uh, sorry, did you end up trying Aya as a as a cere- in a ceremonial context, and contrast to the DMT in what would be considered maybe a little bit of a clinical context that you that you play with it in? No. Or do I- you play with DMT in a clinical context? <laughs> Is there a ceremonial aspect to what you do in your? <laughs> no, I've actually never taken ayahuasca. Um, wow! Yeah, uh, yeah, which surprises people, but it's it's weird. I've kind of gone straight to the main course, which I regard yeah. DMT as kind of and yeah. and, and, and I get it. I'm not I'm certainly not against ayahuasca, and it's something that I would I would do in the future. But I would certainly do it in a in a ritual context. I'm, I mean, I'm not like Terence McKenna making it in his kitchen, making you know extra <laughs> strong batches just for himself. Um, I don't fancy that idea, but I, I'm certainly open to doing it in a in a, in a more ritual context, but the opportunity simply hasn't arisen. I've been so busy kind of working in, in within sort of academia that, that getting to places, you know, going to Peru or something to do this yeah. kind of stuff. There's actually a guy in Okinawa, believe it or not, that, that does it. But yeah, anyway, I can't mention his name or anything like that, but apparently he does it in caves. Okinawa yeah. Cave Ayahuasca, which is kind of cool. There are people in Silicon, I'm sure you've, you know about this, there are actual, you know, what we call, I'm not sure what they call them, the new age shamans in Silicon Valley and other parts. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the USA and the rest of the world who are taking executives on these ayahuasca retreats and these mm. mushroom retreats. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not keen on that. I'm not keen on some Silicon Valley startup guy um, <laughs> giving me ayahuasca, no. to be honest. <laughs> but, but to come back to my other question, is, is there a ceremonial um, aspect to what you do, to the way that you you, you use or treat the molecule? Um, it's a good question. And I'm 
Ceremonial is, is, is an interesting word because it brings to mind, I, you know, it brings I, to mind, go on. No, I was going to say, let me phrase <laughs> that, pair, pair that word with, yeah. is there a ceremonial aspect to what you do that would reflect a level of respect mm. for the compound that you're playing with? Because although you might just have a ritual, you might not consider it mm. ceremonial, but I'm sure you, with the practice you've had, you would have a deep level of respect for the compound because it's something yes. that can really do incredible things or kick your ass at the same time. I agree. And, and that's it's a really interesting question because actually the way that you treat a molecule depends or, on, on how you see that molecule. So for some people, treating the molecule with respect means to light a candle, light incense, say a little prayer, an in, you know, incantation of some sort. And then they have this beautiful hand-glown glass pipe that was brought from India or something like that, uh, and that kind of thing. That's treating it with respect. Now, for me, it's slightly different in that I see DMT as a technology. I see mm. it as a technology for communicating with intelligences that are way beyond anything that exists in this universe, probably. And thus, I think the, the way that you respect DMT is learning to use it as a technology. We've been gifted wherever fuck, this that technology came from. It's here. It's everywhere. It's waiting for us to discover it and to learn how to use it. And I think it's somewhat disrespectful um, to actually assume that these kind of traditional or old methods, the methods that have been used for decades of you know, vaporizing DMT in a small glass pipe, are the be all and end all. Um, I think we should be bringing our best tools to the table, using our most advanced drug administration technologies uh, to bear here. You know, let's let's use the the tools from anesthesiology. Let's use the tools mm. from this branch of medicine. Let's bring everything we've got so mm. that you don't just burst into this DM, this bizarre realm and, and, and kind of look around wide-eyed for five minutes and go, whoa, and then kind of bugger off again. That's not respectful to me. I mean, that's the best we could do for quite a while, but it's not, it's not diplomatic. And I kind of see myself as an in, uh, interdimensional diplomat in some ways. We all should. Yeah. We're, we're, we're yeah. Ambas ambassadors for our species from this little kind of, you know, we're little kind of monkey brains, but we're, you know, we're doing our best, right? And we're, we're making the most of it. And we do have some pretty decent technology for, for drug administration. So why aren't we using those? Why aren't we uh, using target-controlled intravenous infusion like they, that the anesthesiologists use to, to bring someone into that space and keep them there, keep them there, keep the level of DMT in their brain constant over time so that they can arrive, introduce yourself, and spend some time communicating and learning about in you know, a two-way process. Well, it's interesting you're saying we should use it as a technology, and a lot of people <clears throat> might scoff or laugh at that, but mm. what I find really interesting is the fact that the government has been doing it probably since the 50s uh, with Ultra X. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it's been used as a technology for a whole range of different outcomes, mm. one of them being obviously mind control. But um, I would be I would be deathified surprised if the government hadn't already done extensive research with the use of this as some form of, yeah, 
technology. I'd, be, I'd just be, I just can't fathom that it hasn't been used in some, somehow, somewhere, some agency in some dark room. Oh, yeah. Or uh, intergalactic, interstellar communications and networking. Well, you, you're getting a bit Alex Jones here, but. Um, well, you know, I'm trying to run out. You know, it's kind oh, of. Uh, it's breaking up. We're getting shut down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's crazy, man. But, uh, but I mean, it's weird when, when, I remember when Alex Jones, he returned to the Rogan show, of course, and that's when he, he kind of went off on on um, on these clockwork owls and the CIA, the, you know, the, these dark arms of the intelligence services have been using DMT. And I wrote, and people kind of said, oh, fucking hell, you know, Alex Jones again, batshit crazy. But I wrote an article immediately after that, and I said, look, you know, Alex Jones is a bit mad, or a lot mad sometimes, but he might not be so far from the truth here because, you know, scientists like me, we are a small group, scientists like myself, that actually take the idea of interdimensional communication, communication with alien intelligences quite seriously. And if there's people like me now, there, there certainly would have been people like me in the mm. past that had yep. uh, perhaps even people within the intelligence services. So, so there's no doubt the intelligence services would have known about DMT. It's one of the, the big four psychedelics. So they work with LSD, certainly, as you mentioned, and used it for rather nefarious purposes. Um, and so it would surprise me a lot if they hadn't worked with DMT. And the question is, you know, what did they do with it? What did they discover? Were they, in fact, did they discover a means of, of extending the experience and to actually put, put subjects into contact with, um, with, with, with other intelligences over an extended period of time? And this is the kind of thing we're kind of rediscovering now. I think. So has there any been any experiments done with the anesthesiology technology to be able to administer, you know, almost like a consistent dose that enables people to, you know, stay, essentially stay in that world either for an un, you know, unset amount of period or just an extended amount of period of time? Yeah. So, well, the paper, I wrote a paper with Rick Strasman in 2016 and we basically, it's, 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 it's not straightforward in that you can't just kind of give somebody a, a steady drip and, and kind of keep them there because drug, drugs, when they enter the body, they're entering a very complex system and, and the drug will be metabolized and distribute through the circulatory system before it even gets into the brain and then it's metabolized again. So you need a mathematical model, what's called a pharmacokinetic model, that tells you all about how quickly and where and how fast the drug is metabolized, how it's distributed and the rates of all this stuff. And so you can model over time mathematically um, the levels of drug in the brain and you can actually devise the correct dose over time so that you can bring someone into the space and then actually hold the level of drug in the brain uh, reasonably constant or within a, quite a narrow window over time. And so that's quite, it's not straightforward to do. And so right um but but there are there's a group in in london who's who's working on implementing this model that my, myself and rick developed in humans um but it, it still needs work it was really a proof of principle paper that we right. wrote to show that actually the the kind of special unique pharmacological peculiarities of uh, dmt means that it is actually amenable to be to be used in this way um yeah what have you found effects? Because again, you know, we're now talking about getting people into the realm where we can keep them there at a stable level. 
where the bloods are stable. But then when it comes to the psychonaut themselves, how are they able to maintain that, I guess you'd call that dimensional level? Because I'm assuming, you know, you're, you're traversing a range of different dimensions depending on where you mm. break through. That's an assumption on my part anyway. But then what have you found have been the most important things as the, as the traveler when it comes to maintaining? Because obviously you've got the equipment that can maintain blood level. But what have you yeah. found is required at a psychological level to maintain navigation without like, you know, essentially falling through a range of different categories because your, your mind is perhaps a little bit untrained or untamed? Yeah, the, the answer is we don't know because we haven't tried it yet in humans. Um, okay. so, so, but yeah, I think as you suggest, it's, 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 it's going to be challenging. And, and as I said earlier, what have it, you it's learned? It's going to take experience. experience when it comes to that, the, the psychological um, intersection of navigation. Because one of the things obviously we've all observed in, in that, in that process is wherever your mind goes, you just follow it. And it's, you know, some of the most profound experiences I've had is when I've had a level of intent on where my mind was going was number yeah. one and the second one was where i had nothing in my mind mm. i literally had nothing and that was the most incredible uh experience there was a zero there was like an empty space like i had maybe it felt like a, it could have been a, a seven minute satori it could have been 20 seconds maybe even two but um what's your experience there for me i'm not particularly personally i'm not that good at it I, I, I tend to lose control a lot. I tend to, I, I, I'm more of a kind of a free rider and that I will just enter this space, not really have a clue where I'm going and, um, and, and end up in entirely different spaces each time. Uh, and it'd be equally amazed and equally astonished wherever I end up. Um, yeah, right. ha whereas other people I know and who I've spoken to um, are, are much more skilled I mean, you know, I mean, I'm very good at the kind of the neuroscience and explaining things Got and it. thinking about yep. things, but there are much better people pilots. than me, much better pilots than, than me. Yeah. Uh, I kind of build the plane and they, yeah, I get <laughs> they it. fly. Everyone has their role. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I totally get so, it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think some people, I mean, we, we, they will be found. These people exist, people who really are yeah. very, very familiar. And they're often people who are older people. Normally, we don't want we're not talking about psychonaut teenagers who are just kind of off their off their faces twenty four seven. Uh, often, these are older people that have been meditating for forty years uh, and are experienced with very very large numbers of drugs and very all, all range of different states of consciousness and different types of meditation and stuff. And, and they are often the best people because they really do know how to navigate. Uh, this this space and these are the kind of people I think that will be recruited uh, into uh, the uh, any kind of extended state DMT program in my opinion anyway it's interesting because I like I like that little D frame there about it's not so much about the drugs it is the state of consciousness that the drugs are creating one of the things I I discovered from my own experience was that that desire to stay in that state in that in that realm for for longer and that's when I was saying I started to mm. entertain should I be going back to ayahuasca and more of the traditional routes and then I came across um, uh, an environment where I I found what was what's now referred to as farmawaska I don't know if you've heard of farmawaska yes yeah um, which is yeah just the DMT fumate uh, fumate with the uh, the harmaline. Um, and so it's essentially, it's almost like the, the doctor's, the medical way of taking ayahuasca, you're taking the two yeah. compounds or those two powerful compounds that are in ayahuasca. 
but I found it to be a radically different experience. It was not even in the same ballpark. And the only thing that even came close to contextualizing it was when I accidentally inhaled about 200 milligrams of, of liquid DMT um, when I got the tuning settings on my, my vaporizer wrong. <laughs> I was looking for an easier way to fly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I actually uh, had liquid DMT and I put it in a really nice... Um, a really beautiful vaporizer, but I was trying to work out the ampage and the wattage and the burn rate, and I clearly got it wrong. And uh, I ended up doing the calculations later. It was about maybe 200, 250 milligram dose, and my entire world caved in. Like it was a total death of self, total death yeah. of reality, death of every role in my. Like I, I literally even woke up, and this was probably one of the most real experiences that I've had whilst um, whilst piloting, and and uh, with the molecule, is I literally woke up in a. I'm not sure if it was an underground bunker or a spaceship, but I just woke up as another being. I literally woke up mm -hmm. as another being that was attached to something. And there was a woman in front of me who was like, oh, my God, we're not, <laughs> we weren't expecting you yet. And then I literally, mm -hmm. literally started to freak out. And then I came back yeah. and I had a moment where I was like, oh, my God, I'm trapped in another dimension here. And I had a moment where I was like, I think I'm going to have a fucking freak out here. And I calmed myself down and I got back into my skin and everything started to come back together. But it was instead of being like a seven to 15 minute journey, it ended up being about 30 to 35, wow. which was quite long. But it served its purpose because it was about three months later when I did the Farmawaska and the Farmawaska took me to that level, but it held me there for about two hours. Wow. Um, and that was the most humbling experience of my life because I even remember the the um the uh the the person the the the, the 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 pharmacologist who had put it together he goes look this is the closest thing that i can tell you is to a godlike experience where you actually get a godlike perspective and i remember when he told me that just thinking that's a big claim that's a mm. big claim and, and the whole time all i could say in my head was fuck he's right <laughs> he's, he's not kidding and literally every every few minutes i would i'd be like clicking my fingers biting inside of my mouth just touching myself because i was i wasn't sure if i was there and when I opened my eyes, and this is, I've had this experience before with uh, four ACO DMT, um, where you start to see aspects of code dropping, mm. you know, hieroglyphics code in that orange kind of flavor. And, um, you know, I've seen aspects of it on the way in to DMT uh, journeys. But on this one, I opened my eyes and I, I just saw cross, cross dimensional, well, cross dimensional code. And it was just falling and it was all sorts of characters, hieroglyphics, like every character you can imagine. And, um, yeah, I'm, I've, I've, it took me probably a good week to come back from that, but um, it was really one of the, probably the most profound experiences that I'd had being able to maintain that. But the navigation was almost made um, more difficult by the fact that it was just so extreme. I literally felt like I was sitting on the, on the, on, on the ring of consciousness for about an hour and a half mm. and just trying to hang on. Uh, if not for the fact that I hadn't had that experience prior, there's a possibility I could have been, um, you know, possibly quite overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's not surprising, but it's interesting when you when you describe waking up as another being. That's actually I've I've heard reports of that before. People with very high doses will 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 describe waking up, uh, for example, in a room, in a, a completely alien room, surrounded by other alien beings in a in a pod. Uh, and then there are two alien beings over them, and and they say so. Oh, you know, we uh, we've brought you back for for maintenance, or we've you know, or we didn't expect <laughs> you back. That kind of thing. Um, and that, I mean, that, I mean, I've never experienced that, but that it kind of it really kind of shows you. I mean, that and that experience is completely real to them. It's as real as 
the experience of being it was the most real now. experience i've ever had in my entire life and that's why when i came back i was mm. so torn about this reality because i was like holy shit yeah. there are other realities out there that are so much more real than this one yeah exactly and when i was like i literally felt like for an hour a good hour i was shown the logistic network of what's maintaining this level of reality and so when i came back i was just all i could do was just yeah say wow for a week i just was yeah. in total awe yeah, exactly. So, you know, DMT does, it seems to show you these, often the underlying structure of things. Uh, and that, I think, is, is often as as overwhelming and terrifying and astonishing as anything else. Anything, as well as the these kind of intelligent beings, it's also being shown how it works and having had no idea it worked like this. Uh, and what, ha you know, what is our relation, what is the relationship between our flimsy little three-dimensional reality and this incredible system that's maintaining it and, and seeing behind the curtain and going, ah! uh, you know, that is, is, is astonishing. And, and I've certainly mm. seen, seen that before. I, I think one thing that tends to happen for many people is there is a, a difficulty in, in bringing information back. So you will yes. often be shown these things uh, and then your brain, either it's a defense mechanism and your brain is saying, okay, I'm not, you know, you're not you're not seeing that again. You know, I'm not allowing you to uh, remember that. Or it's actually the brain is struggling. You know, once you come back to this normal, low-dimensional, three-dimensional reality that we exist in normally, um, it's very difficult for the brain to to, to create to formulate a memory. I mean, memories are partially reliving. You know, when you remember something, your brain is kind of reconstructing it, uh, and it's very difficult in the absence of DMT being there, very difficult for the brain to kind of reconstruct what happened to you. And so people will, you know, you know, Terence McKenna was saying this back in the 80s, people will be rambling, they'll come out of the experience, raving and raving, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then five minutes later, they're like, what was I, what happened, you know, and it's all yeah. gone. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like sand going through your fingers. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's there and then it's gone. It's like, ah, you know, so write it down as soon as you get back. Is my always my whatever, or speaking to a microphone is, is probably yeah. better. Speaking to a microphone, just get it, get out, rave, 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 and then go back to it. You might be able to piece something together. But again, people seem to develop skills in bringing back information as well yeah. and learning to remember the experience. And I think, as you said, that comes through experience because the more you experience the dimension, the less stressful it is. And then yeah. in most cases, the less fear that you have around it, which would enable you to be, I guess, operate cognitively at a higher level for retention purposes. But I guess when you look at the early human experience, specifically with DMT, a lot of the earlier cultures, um, South American specifically, and other cultures, I think the Aboriginals used to, I understand, also used to have their methods for extraction for DMT. But I'm curious, they used to refer to it as an intelligence, but oftentimes I'd refer to it as an intelligence called mother. You know, it's like it's um, or Mother yeah. Earth or giving people access to, you know, uh, a network that enables them to commu communicate with, you know, um, Mother Earth or another level of frequency of, you know, on the planet. What's your take on that or your um, interpretation? Well, I think we, what, sorry. I was going to say, yes, we, we've covered, it is a technology, yeah. um, but I'm, 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 I guess this is a little bit more contextualization because it's been used as a technology for thousands of years. Hmm. I just guess our relationship with that technology has moved perhaps from one of being <clears throat> very earthbound 
um, although multidimensional giving to now where we're looking at as being, you know, almost like, well, it's now technology. You know, PharmaWasca, they're talking about producing PharmaWasca in pills where mm. you know, psychiatrists can actually administer it. Yeah, I think what's clear is that since in the, in the entire history of DMT use, whether it's um, in these traditional traditional preparations, this decoction known as ayahuasca, or, or through snuffs or whatever, it's been it's been pretty obvious to everyone that's used DMT from the very beginning that there is some kind of, um, it's giving access to some kind of intelligence, to some kind of other apparently conscious beings that appear to be much more, much older, much wiser, much more intelligent. Uh, and so it, it's, it's perhaps not surprising that in indigenous cultures, this is seen as mother. Um, in modern cultures, we might see it as as God or as the alien intelligence from the stars. I think um, in all cases, you're looking perhaps at the same kind of phenomenon, but through a, a different cultural lens. Uh, in the indigenous cultures, they, they, they have their own worldview, which is plant spirits, um, whereas we have a very different one. Um, you know, in the 1950s, for example, when people were doing exp experiments with, with DMT, they would often describe seeing gods or spirits. Um, now, that is a very much a what you would expect in the 1950s, whereas now people would refer to them more as being entities or aliens or something like that. I think often perhaps pe people are seeing the same intelligences, but um, they have this the same idea that these are much more powerful and older and more intelligent, but they just interpret them in, in, in a different way, I think. Interpretation. Yeah. So mate, I know you've looked at this in a very different lens than most other people, but I'm, I'm sure mm. with your experience, you've probably identified that there are certain personalities that really shouldn't, you know, even consider doing this type of work or, you know, journeying on these types of experiences. Uh, or taking these types of experiences like what have you learned when it comes to identifying you know who really should be you know following this path and perhaps exploring and again always under the context of research and as I said and I want to just make this really clear you know, I did about 18 months to almost two years of research before playing with the molecule extensive research reading you know hundreds of articles and you know having dozens of conversations before exposing myself to the the experience itself and I was doing it with the very high level of awareness around the potential dangers shortfalls and everything in between and which I'd categorize as the very responsible way to do it um, which is what I'm, I'm echoing here. But I've also kind of realized that there are certain personalities in my experience that probably are best to stay away from it. Most of those personalities know because they're just not interested. But have you kind of identified through your experience that you know, maybe there's a few things to watch for that uh, would suggest that people should maybe not even entertain the, the molecule? I mean, there, obviously there are, there are medical conditions. I mean, there are psychiatric conditions where you wouldn't, I would, I would, I mean, obviously I would never recommend as such that anyone goes out and takes these drugs. It's a very, psychedelics, they're a very, it's a very personal thing. It's, these are very personal drugs. They're, they're affecting your fund, the fundamental structure of your, of your reality. Uh, and also in high doses of they're, they're affecting your, your sense of self. In many cases, they will completely shatter uh, your sense of self. Um, and that is, that is a, uh, a shattering experience and quite frightening. And if you if you're if you suffer from you know pre-existing psychiatric conditions, if you're anxious um, or you're depressed or 
you know, you're not completely kind of well in that regard, psychologically, then I think psychedelics can be extremely useful for these people, but with the right support and in the right setting. So this is where yes. you go to one of the, I mean, hopefully in the next 10 years or so, they're going to be more and more psychedelic. Well, I'm sure there will be more and more psychedelic, professionally trained psychedelic therapists who will be able to give you that support. So for those kind of people, you have to be very, very careful with psychedelics. Now, uh, the, obviously, there are, all the, there are personality types. Um, if, if you've got a big ego uh, and you think you know it all and you think you're, you know, the, the reincarnation of Maria Sabina and you're the great shaman and you and there are a lot of these people in the psychedelic space. It's just kind of weird. It's this weird paradox that whilst psychedelic drugs they completely shatter the ego temporarily people often return with an even bigger ego it's like i've been here man <laughs> it's really weird yeah, and you get a lot of these yeah. you know if you yeah. if you go on, you go into the facebook group the psychedelic facebook groups man Ooh, i've been into a, in a few kind of scuffles on there believe me people saying you don't know anything man you're just a kid you know like you'll, you'll learn one day you know fuck off you know you and i i i I get bored. It's pretty boring, actually. But but there are a lot of those kind of people, and and they are pretty tiresome, uh, to be honest. Uh, and and even with with DMT as well, I think there's a, there's a there's a tendency with some people, once they go to this space, to think that they they may well have seen it all. They may well have seen the underlying structure of reality, uh, but that doesn't make you special in any way. And and everybody everybody, it's a very de de democratic drug DMT, in that's pretty much anyone. Um, can can extract it from readily available plants and anyone has access to this space and none of us really know what's going on some of us are trying to work it out but none of us really know so people who think they they've got a handle on reality um, and they've got a handle on what dmt is and what it's doing often are the ones that are going to get spanked uh, when they yeah. go into this space with that attitude you know yeah. humility is key here always the case right in every everything in life this is why i love japan so much because it's all about humility never be arrogant never be disrespectful um always be humble and, and go into the dnt space with that same attitude and you'll be much more likely actually to have a, a positive experience if you go there set you know accepting i don't know fuck all what's going on man I just, you know, I just want to meet these people, these individuals, these entities, these intelligences and, and ask them, you know, what can you show me? What can you teach me? That's a much better attitude than going in there and, you know, uh, as this great shaman of, of the 21st century. So one of the things I found really interesting is how um, once you experience DMT, you you see it, you smell it everywhere. Like you start to smell <laughs> yeah. it in nature, you start to in some cases smell it on people's yeah. breaths um, and it becomes... Yeah. A, a kind of a realization where holy crap this stuff is everywhere it's oh, all yeah. around us but also it's inside us as well like our lungs have the hot one of the highest concentrations of dmt uh, as does you know the pineal gland um and i've you know discovered breath work which you might be familiar with holotropic uh, and a range of different breathing techniques that yeah. <clears throat> i've actually been able to in some cases replicate mild breakthroughs without any dmt intervention mm. whatsoever um, which adds a, an enormous level of curiosity, but also an enormous level of potential for further treatment, depending on regulations and, and how they, you know, how they how they change. Have you got any um, anecdotal or, or experience when it comes to breath work and and how that's been used? Um, so there's a number of interesting uh, 
points you made there. And I think in terms of DMT being everywhere, uh, actually, when I first arrived in Japan, I would smell it in the in the bathrooms, all the toilets. I think the, the cleaner they use uh, commonly in Japan has this indole kind of smell. Uh, so everywhere I was going, I thought, that smells like fucking DMT in here, everywhere. <laughs> And 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 you're and you're right. Once you've smelt that 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 smell, it does appear everywhere. Uh, and it, it, DMT for me has this joke. It's there's a gesturous quality to it. There's a there's a, a maniacal kind of tricksterish quality to the experience. Um, that is undeniable. There is this comical ambiance. I, I, I always talk about this and this, this feeling that they're going, you know, they wink. The, the, I, I often describe it like the universe is winking at you uh, when you when you first take that first lungful of DMT and say, okay, do you get it yet? Do you get the joke? Um, and, and like we live within this cosmic joke. Yeah. And we, we take yeah. it seriously and we think, you know, this is the, the real thing. This is reality. We have to take it seriously. Um, but these beings are going, come on, surely you realize now that, that, that it's just a one huge joke. And, and I see DMT being everywhere as being part of that. It's like, okay, we're just going to place DMT absolutely everywhere. It's, it's going to be in their noses. It's going to be in their bodies. It's going to be every, in all the plants and, and animals around them. Uh, but they're not going to work it out. And, and it'd be fun when they do, right? <laughs> um, I kind of get that feeling. I think that's perhaps part of it. Uh, yeah. And it, you know, and 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 in terms of breath work, uh, it's not unusual people to describe that. And and certainly we know it's made in the body. We don't know w- where it's made. I'm glad you mentioned the lungs, actually, because you're right. It's not actually. We don't actually know there's a lot of DMT in the lungs. What we know is that the the key enzyme uh, called um, space it's meth type of methyl transferase. Basically, it's it's responsible for kind of finishing the DMT molecule chemically. Um, there's a lot of that in the lungs, highly expressed in the lungs. Yes, in the pineal as well, but I think the pineal is so tiny uh, that it's unlikely that it's it's capable of producing sufficient quantities of DMT. But the lungs certainly would be. And that might connect to breath work. If you're doing certain types of breath work, perhaps breath work that induces hypoxic states. Um, mm-hmm. So people talk about like Wim Hof breathing, um, where you're actually becoming quite hypoxic. Um, and, and, and DMT release has been linked by certain scientists, perhaps as a protective mechanism for the brain when it goes into a hypoxic, so low, low oxygen state. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, so I've never experienced that. Uh, and there's been no studies that have demonstrated that people are actually having a DMT experience under these circumstances. But I wouldn't rule it out. Um, yeah. And I think work needs to be done. Um, it's interesting because I've done breath work for a, for a number of years but, and I've done Wim Hof a couple of times. But it wasn't until I, I did a fast. I did like six weeks of juice fasting and then I did five days of water fasting. And I did mm. on the last three days or four or five days, I did the breath work every day and I had nothing mm. in my system. I had no food. I Completely, completely empty and I was actually having what I'd call a mild to moderate level breakthroughs that when I was coming back I was going holy crap I think I've just found the lucky button um but what I have heard also <laughs> is um, that for years. <laughs> I don't know right all I had to do was you know just just hyperventilate for a couple of minutes <laughs> Um, but I have heard of other researchers, actually academics, who have um, engaged in levels of research for DMT, you know, journeying from the navigation perspective, but also therapeutic. And they've talked about the instances of some people actually bringing back entities with them 
Like, um, have you got any experience? I've only heard this twice, uh, but one of them was actually from what I'd refer to is he seemed like he was quite a reputable researcher. He was an academic and to the point where they said we actually ended up having to, you know, bring someone in to help with uh, the severing of this entity, this entity, ent entity attachment or something that they referred it to. And I was like, okay, that's curious. Look, with DMT, I'm open to everything because you get shown everything. But have you got any experience of people perhaps, um, you know, bringing entities back or releasing energies, you know, through portals that are open? I wish I had. Uh, no, <laughs> I'd never heard of that. I mean, when well, you look say, at this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is it like a little elf on the shoulder or? Or like is a it, spirit, is it, almost like a spirit. Okay, okay. Yeah, not, not yeah. a hallucination, more okay, of a spirit. Okay, okay, okay. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that makes more sense. I mean, that, yeah, I'm not surprised people. I mean, the thing is with me is that I'm kind of, I don't go in for all that kind of spirit stuff or I find it, I find it hard to get my claws into. I mean, I'm a kind mm -hmm. of a, a scientist. I like to have mechanisms. I like to work things out. I like to think, okay, how could this work? And then when so someone, soon as someone says, oh, spirit, I'm like, oh, what do I do with that? Um, yeah. How do I how do I think about that? Because yeah, you know you it, you can go you know anything goes when it comes to kind of spirits and plant spirits and gods or whatever. Because anybody could have any worldview, any kind of um, any way to think about that, and and it's very difficult for me as as a scientist that actually wants to think about these to actually get my teeth into it in a way. Um, so I, I kind of avoid that because I don't know how to make sense of it. So that's why I focus on what's going on in the brain. You know, I go to some weird mm -hmm. far out places with, with my ideas and my hypotheses. Um, but I always keep one foot in, in, in neuroscience and in, in, in pharmacology and in chemistry, because that allows me to kind of then reach to weird places, but actually mm -hmm. have something clear to say. say, I think this happens. I think this is how it happens. I think this is what's going on rather than just, just talking about spirits or, you know, talking about accessing the astral plane because anything goes there and, and people yeah. have done it and everyone else is doing that anyway. There's a whole yeah. new age crowd that are, uh, that are, are dealing with DMT in that kind of much more kind of spiritual new agey kind of wooey kind of uh, way that, that I've got no problem with, but it's just not my back. It's not your bag at all. I get it's that. So all. where do you see the, the, the future of DMT? Like obviously there's so many different avenues, but the two that are most obvious is technology, using yeah. it as a technology. But the second one is using it potentially therapeutically. Um, the technology side, I think we've nailed that quite um, well. I think we've at least opened a few Pandora's box that would make people think, well, hang on. If I, Well, actually, here's the one thing I'll share before sharing that with you. The only other one other time that I've experienced a breakthrough um, that wasn't DMT induced was when I had a stroke. I had a stroke in 2009. Wow. And um, I had what would probably be categorized as what uh, an NDE or a near-death experience where I, you know, I essentially left the body, had conversations, was given information, came back. Um, and then, you know, slowly integrated that experience over the next six months and literally created a whole new body of research and work as a result of what was given to me um, in that in that experience. Um, and so I, I've seen firsthand how the technology can be used in a natural setting, in a uh, in, in a DMT intervention. I've had similar scenarios where I've, I've gone, I've come back, I've brought intelligence back with me. Mm. So I think we've done a pretty good job of exploring the technology, techno the potentials for technology, the potentials for innovation, the potentials for connecting neurons together that have never been connected together to create new perspectives that they've never had. 
which could solve existing problems. But on the medical side, not a lot of people really talk about the therapeutic benefits of DMT outside of the long journey DMT or the ayahuasca experiences. You know, I know, I know even Rick Strauss with his data, he was saying, you know, it was, it was, it was a little neutral in terms of, you know, the potential for um, you know, entheogenic benefit. But what's, what have you found? Because I know myself, if I have a DMT experience, I'll come back and I feel sharp. I feel clear, clear crystal. Yeah. You know, for the next few days I'm, or even a week, I feel like I've just got a little bit of an extra bump in my step. And so I've seen performance yeah. benefits, but have you seen anything at an entheogenic level? I personally have experienced what I'd say have been entheogenic um, you know, experiences where I've come back feeling better, lighter, you know, more um, whole, I guess you could say. But what's your, what's your experience? Well, certainly, I mean, all the psychedelics, the, anecdotally and clinically, people will, will, will report an, a lift in mood uh, for several days or weeks following the experience. And, and of course, magic mushrooms or psilocybin and LSD, they get all the press in terms of therapeutic because those have been certainly the most well-studied. Um, also, Ibogaine for addiction as well. But uh, DMT doesn't really get much of a look in. I think part of that is because it's, it's historical in, in the, the, the that in the 1950s and 60s, when when work was being done to treat like you know alcohol addiction, for example, they were using LSD. And LSD and, and psilocybin, in some ways, are easier to work with in that it's it is a longer experience. You can lay someone down on a, on a bed and put eye shades on them and let them kind of ride the experience. You know, the gradual build up and the peak and then the come down. It seems to be naturally suited to. Um, a kind of therapeutic work whereas dmt it's like uh, and then kind of you kind of come back it doesn't seem to be at first glance at least ostensibly mm. a, a, a a good tool for therapeutics however i think that's probably a something of a misrepresentation of the potential of dmt and and rick strassman i've spoken to rick about this and 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 he agrees and he feels that the benefit that DMT has, particularly with this new infusion technology that myself and him developed, is that you don't have to just inject somebody and kind of fire them out of the cannon. It is possible to move them into the experience, um, push them deeper. Uh, if they're having trouble or they, you, they want to kind of come back and integrate, you can pull them out. You've got a lot of control because it's so short acting. Uh, it, you've got so much more control than you do with psilocybin and LSD. I think LSD and psilocybin are awesome and, and probably and extremely useful in many, many types of, of conditions. However, there might be times when you don't want to just have someone in this space for several hours, but you want to you know, let mm. them dip their toes into the water and then bring them out again, talk to them, and then push them back and then push them maybe a little bit deeper. And so there's, there is a huge potential mm for um, um, controlling the level of the experience over several hours that you simply you don't have with LSD. So I think DMT will find its place within um, the psychedelic pharmacopoeia uh, of, of therapeutic um, psychedelic agents. Um, but it's just, it's, the other drugs have had much more of a head start. But I think in the mm. future, we are going to see DMT having a much greater role in, in, in therapeutics, yeah. What's well, funny because we're, we're now he hearing um, you know, terms like pharmawaska being 
um, rolled around at a venture, you know, at a venture at equity levels, at venture capital levels in the US Wall Street. Now, there's mm. a number of people I'm aware of that yeah, have been looking yeah, yeah, at it yeah. for quite some time uh, for therapeutic interventions. So, yeah, I think this is just the beginning. And it's good to bring you on, Andrew, to be able to have a chat because oftentimes when we talk <laughs> about psychedelics, we talk about it very much in the therapeutic context. You know, I think we've opened something here that'll encourage a few people to expand beyond just understanding it because there's an enormous value there therapeutically in psychedelics yeah. and also in DMT. I've experienced firsthand. But um, as you say, I think where we're really kind of untapped now is I'd even say that the fourth wave, which is, you know, the technology, not just looking at it as a way to radically, you know, change the, 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 the landscape of um, psychiatry and psychology and psychotherapy, but also radically change innovation, development, technology, um, and just the general concept of who we are, where we are, and what else is out there. Yeah, I, I, I agree entirely. And um, there are, as I said, there are, there are many people now. I think the, the clinical side of these things, the therapeutic side, is being well taken care of. It's, mm. it's in, we're in very good hands there. And, yeah. you know, I, I know a number of these researchers, and, and there's no doubt that they are going to drive this revolution in psychiatry. But there has to be a space for people like myself People who are actually say, well, actually, these experiences do seem to gate access to some extremely bizarre and extremely powerful intelligences. You know, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to dismiss it and just assume this is just pure hallucination? And that's what scientists have done for for decades is to say it is just a form of hallucination. But actually, my approach has always been actually, first of all, does that even make sense? It's an assumption to say it's just a hallucination. But when you actually look at the, the neuroscience of, of hallucination, the neuroscience of, of how our world model is constructed, it's actually difficult to explain how the brain is suddenly able to start constructing this bizarre alien reality and why it would do so in the presence of the most common, uh, most by far the most common uh, plant hallucinogen, the most common most common naturally occurring psychedelic drug is this extremely simple molecule that's found everywhere. And suddenly when you, when it enters the brain, the brain starts constructing bizarre alien realities filled with alien intelligence. That is not easy to explain as people will tell you that it's easy to explain, or it's just your brain tripping, man. Um, but, but as a, as a neuroscientist, I can assure you it's very difficult to explain how the brain actually knows. I always describe it like, a young American child who only speaks English suddenly speaking, starting to speak fluent Siberian Yupik, uh, you know, a completely alien language to them. Uh, and that's really what the brain is doing. The brain is, is starting to speak an alien language in that it's starting to construct a completely mm. alien reality that bears no relationship whatsoever to this reality. And it does it effortlessly. Uh, within 30 seconds of you inhaling this drug, your brain is building this world with absolutely crystalline clarity, hyperdimensional reality, filled with intelligent beings um, that seems to represent this higher structure of reality of which our normal reality is just a part. Where did that come from? You know, this isn't just kind of a maelstrom of confusion that you, you kind of tumble into where your brain is just trying to make sense of chaotic activity, which is what many scientists would say. This seems to be a freestanding uh, highly regular, astonishingly complex, hyperdimensional alien world filled with intelligent beings. That is not, despite what many people will tell you, even scientists, that is not easy to explain. And that is why um, I've devoted my life to trying to understand what this, what this molecule is, what's it <laughs> doing here. 
And what are we doing here? You know. Oh, and uh, mate, I, I have a feeling this is not going to be the last conversation that you and I have. <laughs> I'd love to catch up more. Unfortunately, we're out of sure. time. But uh, mate, if people want to find out more about you, where where's the best place for them to to find out more about you and your research and everything in between? Yeah. So first protocol would be my website, uh, alieninsect.net or buildingalienworlds.com, both the same site. There you'll find a link to all of my lectures and my podcasts and a lot of my writings as well. Uh, also, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Alien Insect is my handle. And of course, if you really want to learn, uh, then my book, Alien Information Theory, Psychedelic Drug Technologies and the Cosmic Game is out in hardback and in softback, full color uh, book <laughs> describes my my vision of uh, reality and our place within it and the place of DMT within it. So that's kind of the culmination of my 25 years of thinking and writing and researching DMT is, is in that book. So if you really wanna go deep, uh, um, then buy the book. Also importantly, I'm, I'm about to release in the next few weeks for free a my psychedelic neuroscience master course, which will be available on my YouTube channel uh, for free wow. uh, for the for the foreseeable future. So if you, if anyone's interested in really learning what's going on in the brain uh, when someone takes psychedelics, all the way from the level of what how it binds to receptors through to how it affects brain cells through to how it affects global brain activity and the structure of your reality, if you want to learn all of that, uh, then. In the next few weeks, you know, again, if you go to my website, there's a course page where you can sign up for updates on that. And that will be on my my YouTube page, our YouTube channel, Alien Insect as well. You're a blind uh, um, So people, yeah, so that's that's my gift to the world. Because of this virus thing, um, I, I've not... Um, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of time on my hands at home, so I'm not out speaking and giving lectures, traveling to America, or whatever. So, so that's my gift back to the world is to create this course. So, for the last that's few fantastic. weeks, I've been working on this course and kind of learning to do my YouTube thing um, to a camera. So, hopefully, that will work out okay. And, that's quite um, awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Please and we'll sign up for that. Them. Send some traffic over your way. But as I said, Hopefully. Dr. Andrew Gallimore, this will not be the first nor the last time that we speak. I look forward to speaking to you again shortly, brother. Thank you so much for your time and your openness. It's been great mate. to speak to you. Thank you so much. It's been great. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Cheers. Thank awesome. you. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, KerwinRay.com, and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us.